Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of From Dial Square to Where the Nigel Winterburn Special. This is the audio version of the live show from Wednesday, November 20th. I was delighted to have been joined by Arsenal legend Nigel Winterburn as well as Jason Davies from a Bergkamp Wonderland, football writer James Rowe and Alex from Cannon Fodder TV. Nigel was excellent and talked candidly about his fantastic career at Arsenal which included stories about Anfield 89, the European Cup winners' cup success, Arsene Wenger, and incredible revelations about Bruce Ryak. Please like, subscribe and share, thanks for watching, also be sure to listen to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Acast. Treacle? People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. This is Dawn. Welcome to the latest episode of From Dial Square to Wear, the Arsenal Twitter podcast, which incidentally contains adult content which is definitely not suitable for young children. Please like and subscribe and leave a five-star review. It really helps. Also, please be sure to visit the YouTube channel and subscribe to that. We have a brand new show, You Can Be The Star, the most interactive Arsenal show, where the twist is the viewer who entertains us the most on the night can join us live on the panel to air their opinions. We have great guests weekly. We've had Kevin Campbell, who was absolutely brill. That's still available to watch. And we also have more excellent guests lined up, which is very, very exciting. Thanks for listening. Hello, sorry for the delay. We are from Dial Square to Wear. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we've got a great episode lined up. Very, very pleased and proud to have a true Arsenal legend on the show tonight, Nigel Winterburn. How are you, Nigel? Very well, thank you. After a few little issues of uh, trying to log on, um, it, no. tells you what, it tells you what my uh, skills are like there. No. <laughs> no, it's just glad to have you on board. It's a... Uh, it's fantastic. Very, very, very happy that you've joined us. Uh, five, was it 584 appearances I've got here? Third, you know, you're actually, one thing is very, very impressive. 32nd in the list of the top 50 greatest Arsenal players of all time. And the great, the best thing about that is it's voted for by the fans. So, a very good accolade there. Uh, yeah. 
the, the way things are going, I think I might stay in there for a bit longer. I think you'll start going up, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> three league titles, two FA Cups, one League Cup, a European Cup, Winners' Cup. I mean, what a career. What a career. You must be uh, pretty happy with that, Nigel. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously it was a, uh, a dream to join Arsenal, a top club at that time from where I come from, from Wimbledon as well. But you just listed the honours that I was privileged to be part of teams in to, to win. And uh, uh, when you list that, it makes me feel very, very proud that uh, I represented this great club. And what I say is one of uh, the club's most successful periods as well with some fantastic players. So uh, you just brought a smile back to my face. Oh, good. I'm very pleased. Well, I'm going to try and keep an up. Uh, a happy atmosphere on this podcast. It's been very depressing being an Arsenal fan lately. And you will all notice who are listening or watching that we've got more guests. Um, Alex from Canon for the TV, how are you? I'm pretty good this evening. Uh, thank you for the invite. Um, yeah, I'm like, I'm starstruck. Alex, you have to go soon because you're teaching, doing a very worthwhile job, so um, we'll crack on. Jason, I think everyone knows the, the Welsh rabbit from a bird camp wonderland. <laughs> How are you doing? How are you, mate? You right? Very good, thank you. Now are you? Oh, I'm going to be fanboying up in a bit now. You know, know. It, it, it's, it's one of those things, you know, a bit like I said before we started... It, it's you know you you watch people on the terraces, and then you get to chat to them, and especially nowadays with the way social media is and the amount of money in the game, you know you don't get to talk to players anymore, do you? No. You know, and and no. We, we were lucky enough to have this opportunity, so yeah, I'm gonna be a massive fan boy in a bit now, boys. <laughs> and James, football writer James Rowe, how are you, James? Very well, thank you. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Thanks for having. Thanks for the invite, Andrew. Much appreciated. No problem. And all the way from Amsterdam. Yeah. Absolutely. How? What is it like in Amsterdam tonight? Is it as horrible Very as cold. it is here? Very cold. Yeah. Very cold. Yeah. I need you to put your layers on when you when you're going out for an evening. But uh, yeah, really nice. Uh, nice to be here. And um, yeah, obviously, um, let's give Nigel a bit of a background check. I've been. I was born and raised in the UK. I've been a gooner for more than thirty years. And obviously, I immigrated to the Netherlands almost 14 years ago now. So I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position to, in, to uh, not only interview professional players and managers as a whole, but every now and again for, uh, to watch Arsenal play, which is a, a great privilege. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I hope those uh, lovely ladies in the shop windows are wrapping up warm at the moment over there anyway. So they'll catch their death, I'm sure. <laughs> right, well... <laughs> We're, we're going to discuss, at the end of the show, because it's a bit more depressing, we're going to discuss later on, those that are watching are going to wonder whether we're talking about the Pochettino situation, Jose Mourinho, everything. We're going to do that a bit later on. Um, so hang fire for that. What we're going to be discussing, and it, just to keep it a bit more lighthearted tonight, obviously... Nigel's fantastic career and some of the highlights and, uh, you know, like what uh, you said, Jason, earlier, I uh, were not a season ticket holder at, at Highbury back in the day and uh, I just absolutely loved watching Nigel going down <laughs> going down the left-hand side, 
Nigel, I was saying to the other guys earlier, I like to think of, um, you know, Kieran Tierney now being the new Nigel Winterburn. And um, it's very early days yet to see whether that's actually going to turn out to be the case. But, um, yeah, I mean, you were such a good left-back. You really were. And when you first joined the club at, um, from from Wimbledon, did they, the first thing you had to do, did you have to cut that mullet? Uh, I, I certainly did, and that was uh, very, very fashionable at the time. I, I thank you for that. So, uh, That's all, right. all natural as well. It was magnificent. All, all natural. Yeah, it was uh, just uh, just before I joined, it was actually a lot longer than that. If you have a look at the old Wimbledon pictures, and then oh, I had yeah. a little trim up, and then I had a little trim up, and then uh, went even shorter again. So, uh, no, yeah, it was, uh, I, I think it was the style at the time. Yeah, absolutely. I remember getting your sticker in the, the Panini sticker album back in the day and uh, just casting my eye over your mullet and thinking, I wish I could grow my hair like yours because it was fantastic. Yeah, now you're making me blush. No, absolutely. Well, it, it, you know, you were you were genuinely, genuinely one of my absolute heroes on the uh, watching from the terraces back in the day. And um I'm going to obviously open this this up, but just quickly before I do, because I'm being selfish because it's my show. Uh, was it true that George Graham literally tied the back four sort of together to to actually when he was when he was training you to actually drill the team the way that you know it's so famous nowadays of being the famous back four? I heard that he, he tied you all together to keep you in the line. Well, Is that true? Well, pretty much so. I mean, um, obviously the, the with. Arsenal's defensive frailties over the last few seasons. It's been a, a, a big, big topic between uh, supporters when you meet them. They ask what you did under George Graham. I mean, and you, I go through what I did and look at what the team, my teammates did. We used to go out with George on the pitch, four of us, uh, the back four, uh, sometimes with Dave Seaman, sometimes with eight, uh, without him. And we just literally, no ball on the pitch, George Graham, the four defenders, and we would just walk around in positions on the pitch. So the idea was, is if George was walking towards one of the players or moved backwards in a certain area, you would have to move towards him. And the idea was that once one player moved, then every other player in that back four moved the same distance and in the same di uh, direction. Yeah. So the idea, of that, the idea of that was is to keep the distances between the, the, the back line the same all the time. So when I look back, uh, you know, it was uh, it, look, it looks pretty damn boring, but uh, and I can't see many of today's players being walking no. through that and, and doing that. But it certainly gave us a fantastic base uh, to work from and something that George believed in very, very strongly. Yeah, no, it, it's it's such a good. I mean, it's still the best defence I think England's ever seen, and um, I mean, it was the one one season. I think it was. I can't remember whether it was the ninety one season or maybe wrong, but I think we only let in as a team eighteen goals that season, didn't we? I mean, what... yeah, that was the, the the league title season when we lost. The, yeah. the only game we lost was to Chelsea. You're right. I think it was seventeen or eighteen goals, and you know, I I don't really go back and. And, and look at the uh, the stats, but it was, you know, such a phenomenal effort. Um, oh, not only from the back four, but the but the team at, at that time, because although the the um, back four got a lot of credit, the way that we set up from the front 
defensively through from midfield to defensively um, gave us such a, a fabulous uh, base to work from. So uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, to be honest, it was a tremendous effort from the team. Oh, magnificent! Right, let's open out. I mean, Alex, um, let's go to you first because obviously you haven't got too long. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask Nigel. Um, you spent four years at Wimbledon, and um, when the call did actually come from George Graham and the Arsenal that they wanted to sign you. I mean, what were you feeling? What, what, you know, what were you feeling when you heard that Arsenal were coming to buy you? Well, I think there's not there's not many people actually know that um, Chelsea were the first team in for me. Uh, and I'd actually gone to meet um, with Chelsea, but things just didn't work out very, very quickly. And they signed Tony Dorigo. And then uh, just literally a few days later, I got a call from Sam Herman, who was the chairman of Wimbledon, and said that George Graham had approached the club and they'd agreed uh, a fee for me to, to, to join Arsenal if we could uh, negotiate a contract. So, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, once you, you know, I went on my own to meet George Graham. Once you walk into those uh, marble halls, Boy, it, it just takes your breath away, and you know, I, I just knew once I stepped inside that this was the club for me. And to be quite honest with you, I would have probably signed for a pound. <laughs> it was yeah. just, it was just so impressive. And and to be quite honest, George Graham was quite intimidating, so <laughs> didn't, I didn't want to put up too much of a fight. No. Wow. Uh, and is it true? Just just one question: Is it true that when you actually did, I think your first few games when you came to play at Arsenal? Did he deploy you on uh, right back? Or was it- uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he knew how strong my right foot was. So mm. um, what he decided was that uh, it was about six months before I got into the team, just before Christmas. Obviously, I joined in the, the summer of 80, 87. Um, and then it was, I had about sort of six months relatively up to Christmas out of the team. Um, and then suddenly they, we were having a few problems at right back. And he just said to me, I'm playing you right back. No ifs, no buts, just get on with it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's what I really did. I mean, I played there for the rest of the season and then occasionally switched over to left back when he left Kenny out of the team. So sort of 80% of the time in that in that second half of the season was was right back and then occasionally at, at left back. So, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty difficult for me at the time because... Obviously, I'd, I'd spent all my time at at Wimbledon, and then as a as a kid at uh, Birmingham for two years as as an out and out left back. So switching sides was uh, let's just say it was a little uncomfortable. <laughs> well, it, it, at least you didn't moan like uh, Ainsley Maitland Niles does nowadays by playing the out of position. No, well, I think for me, see, I swear quite well. <laughs> for me, it was more a case of I was so desperate to get into the team because after I joined, I found it so, so difficult. Although I joined a big club, I um, I missed the competitiveness of the, of, the, of the football in terms of when the crowd was there. Wimbledon was 6,000, but I just loved walking out in front of them and playing. Uh, and when I wasn't in the team at Arsenal, uh, in the reserves, you know, there's 100, maybe 150 people there. It it wasn't the same feeling. And I really struggled um, to start with. So, I, I mean, I was absolutely delighted when George said to me, 
you know, uh, right back, um, you know, I'm putting you in at right back because then I just then knew I got that feeling that I'm going to walk out at Highbury and some of the away games and, uh, you know, you're looking at 50,000 plus supporters if you're having a good season. So uh, that gave me the, that sort of gave me the mojo back, if you like, to uh, to get going again and get started and, and, and made me believe that uh, I actually had made the, the right decision because for a little while, I, as I said to you, I did find it very, very difficult. Especially coming from the crazy gang as well. I mean, the atmosphere you must have had in that changing room must have been uh, very different. Uh, at least I used to watch you in the reserves because they used to they used to let you in for free at Highbury to go to watch the reserves yeah. every. I'm sure every I week. spotted you in the crowd. Yeah, I'm sure you did actually. It, I'm sure it, it, you wasn't, did. it wasn't difficult. Well, to be fair, I did. Uh, you know what? I, I was trying to grow my hair like yours. Um, but it, it, I had a lot more than I do nowadays because I, I, I just shave it off now. But yeah, that was good. To, good I missed that ground. I missed that ground an awful lot. James, what could you, you know, you have the next question. Uh, my next question to Nigel is given you mentioned you touched on our defensive frailties in recent years that fans have said to you, Nigel. Um, do you feel that the current defensive frailties are down to communication? Or lack of yeah, communication. Um, well, lack of communication is one, but you also have to have a out-and-out desire, um, particularly if I'm looking at fullback roles of stopping the opposition crossing the ball. That was George Graham's, you know, real belief for fullbacks. You know, one-in-one situations do not. I think the way that I I felt when I was a defender was. If I let the winger cross the ball or the right-hand side player cross the ball against me, that's a potential goal. And that's the way I think you have, you know, that's the way I think my back four, I know my back four played, the back four I was in. And um, I just feel now we've, not only Arsenal, but a lot of teams have gone away from that real resilience defensively. It now feels like you've got to be super cool on the ball and occasionally when you ask to defend, well, that's okay. Let's hope that you do it quite well. Whereas, you know, when I played, I, if I couldn't defend, I would have never got in an Arsenal team. That that was mm. that was for sure. So I think the I think the role has has changed, um, and I think also as well, you know, the the game has quickened up. That's for sure. The pitches are better, but I just think it's those fine lines of really understanding your defensive role and you're right I don't know how much um, the Arsenal back four uh, come back five are working on certain situations like we did with with George Ground so it's very hard to judge but it certainly looks at times uh, if I'm polite disorganised I can't understand why they don't hire um, you know someone like yourself or you know Tony or, or whatever, just to be a, a, it's, a, it's a lot, coach. It's, it's a lot more difficult to uh, coach. Um, I think you'll understand. I've had a couple of little goes at, at lower levels, and uh, it's a lot more difficult than what people understand. It's okay, someone talking to you and you fully understanding what they are wanting you to do as a player, and then you putting that into uh, practice with your teammates when you're trying to get something across to a player 
and they're not getting it and you can't understand why they're getting it makes it very, very difficult. So actually, um, although I'm a little bit poorer, I'm quite happy sitting here, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew. Andrew, unfortunately, I have to take my 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 leave. I've I've got a lesson. No to problem. Do. No problem. But before I go, I just want to say, um, yeah, I've been a supporter since 1978, and um, yeah, I feel um, yeah, kind of honoured to have spoken to Nigel Winterburn. I've spoken to um, Pat Jennings actually in 1982. I met him. I met Charlie George, and now Nigel Winterburn. And um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure being no on uh, on this this podcast. Nigel, thank you for taking the time to actually answer my question um guys really have a good evening and hopefully we'll we'll catch up very very soon yeah good evening take care take care cheers thank you take care alex take care bye jason uh what's your question yeah uh, obviously you know when you when you first arrived at kenny sanson there you had um tony adams coming through steve bold come in when it became obviously yourself lee you had Tony, you had David O'Leary, you had um, Steve Bold there as well. Did you feel something special was happening at that point? Well, I, I, I think we quickly got a grasp of what George was trying to achieve in terms of, I think he, he wanted to play a certain style, I believe, and I've never really asked him, even uh, when I've, I've uh, seen him uh, since I've retired, but... I get a belief that he didn't think he could do that with the established players in the team. Um, you know, your, your Graham Rixes, your Steve Williams, uh, your Kenny Sampsons. So I think he'd made a conscious decision that he was going to get rid of those. Uh, Graham Ricks was there as well. He was going to get rid of those experienced players and he was going to bring in some young, hungry players along with some of the players that had come up through the, through the youth team at Arsenal. And I think that was George's real strength. And as I say, our our organisation and team spirit at that time, I have to tell you, was absolutely sensational. And there wasn't a team that was fitter than us, really, and and, and, and as organised. I would say at the time when we first came together, there were plenty of better squads in terms of individual players but there was no better team in terms of work rate and ethic, mm. uh, effort and also belief in what we were trying to achieve. Yeah. You had some fantastic players come through that youth system. Um, obviously, you had Davis, Thomas, Adams, Keon. I know he, he went to Villa, I think it was. You know, but... Um, oh, powerful. Yeah, uh, uh, well, Rocky, yeah. Uh, a mate of mine, Anthony Reese, was he captained that, um, uh, that FA Cup winning side. Okay, another Armandford boy. The Welsh get everywhere. Um, and he, he always said about the quality of the players coming through at that time and the fact that George spotted it and said, right, let's take advantage of it. You know, because you were young guns, weren't you? But it's only that, that Anfield 89 um, uh, season, you had Richardson, you had Brian Marwood, who were old heads, and David O'Leary. The rest of you were a lot of youngsters, weren't you? Well, I think, I, think, I think, you know, when you talk about youngsters, I mean, I, I, I joined Arsenal when I was, oh, I have to think back now, 22, 23. So not young, young. I mean, we, but I think what George did is he he looked, his scouting network was, was really strong. I mean, myself really, you could say coming from lower leagues, although we, we, with Wimbledon, we got to the top division just before I left. So, you know, Steve Bold, Lee Dixon came in. 
And then you're right, he had uh, Rocky, he had Tony, Dave O'Leary was very experienced. He brought Kev Richardson in, Brian Marwood came in. You know, you've got Merce there as well, Alan Smith he bought. I just thought he bought uh, a group of players that he thought he could work with and trust. And they would follow his leadership, if you like, without really, without really questioning him. Because we were all, it, it became apparent very quickly, we were all very hungry for success. And I have to say, it, 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 it worked amazingly well. Brilliant. Can I, I, I just have to ask as well, Nigel, it's obviously, it was the anniversary uh, this year, wasn't it, for Anfield 89? And can you just give us your... I've heard so many accounts. Um, Amy Lawrence has done some greater accounts recently about Anfield 89. Yeah, she got them from me. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> Just give us your your thoughts. Obviously, the two games prior didn't go to plan, obviously, as we all know. I, I'd forgotten, actually, that the game had been um, put back because of um, some issues, and obviously with Hillsborough and everything. Um, so it was, it was after the FA Cup final, and they were going for the, the their double at uh, the Liverpool. Just and everything was just seemed to be fall apart at the end of the season, almost not fall apart, but you know fall out of our hands. So just give us your account, sort of going into that that game before you know, then maybe the night before, and then going into that game and the way everyone was thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you, you, well, you are right. We should have won the, the league a couple of games before. Mm. I mean, I remember on the Tuesday night, sitting down, uh, listening to my radio uh, when Liverpool were playing West Ham. And when it got to five, turning it off, the realisation that all of a sudden we hadn't got to go there and win by, and just win. It was two goals. And at that mm. time, if they scored again, it would have been three. And I think then that would have been impossible. So... I just switched the uh, I switched the radio off. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't listen anymore. It was just as if Liverpool were just swarming all over them. But but it it, it came at the end of it that we we needed though you know we needed to go there and win by two goals. And George was supremely confident. I mean, we didn't do anything different in terms of preparation. We went up morning of the game. Well, that is I mean, different, isn't it? I think, didn't you, wouldn't you normally have gone up the no, night No, 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 we would have gone up. Most of the time we went uh, day of the, if it was a night game, we'd always go up uh, in the morning. Oh, right. We usually got there around lunchtime. We'd have um, we'd have lunch, sleep in the afternoon and then pre-match before the game. So it was all, it was all pretty similar to what we'd done. But I just think, you know, the just the, uh, the belief that we had we knew it was going to be difficult. You can't, you know, you can't take away from that fantastic Liverpool team. But mm. we, and George was just really emphasising the fact that it was more important at the, at, to start with, not not to concede a goal rather to, rather than score. Yeah. And he was he was sort of delighted at half-time when it, was, <laughs> it was nil-nil. And that's um, incredible. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think Liverpool thought that we might try and go all out attack against them, which is pretty difficult anyway against a, a really strong Liverpool team who had an unbelievable record at Anfield. But at half time, George was so calm, he just said, you know, don't worry. If we score, he said, I think they'll panic. And we got, uh, to be honest, we got the goal, um, you know, uh, my goal that Alan Smith's claiming. 
Yeah, you know, no, exactly. I was just about to say that. I'm just about to say yeah, that. He keeps, he keeps claiming it from me. Um, but Smudge's goal came at the right time. But you know what? Those few moments when they were crowding around the, the linesman and the referee, and I was I was standing there thinking, he's going to disallow this now. Mm. Um, what a, you know... No especially one probably, at Anfield. Especially at Anfield. Yeah, yeah, it was under so much. The referee was under Anfield. so much pressure. It was unbelievable. Um, and it went once he give give the goal, then it was as you say, it was it was game on. And um, I mean, then it was just you know what could we do? And and in a way, Liverpool did panic because really you think back and you think just keep the ball, just keep it moving, take no chances. But they came at us and kept coming at us. Uh, and Mickey Thomas had had the same chance a few minutes earlier uh, and then just in those final moments when you know, I can still see it now Barnsley going down the right hand side and I'm thinking if he goes into the corner flag now that's it it's over mm. and he cuts back across the byline and I'm thinking whoa hold on a minute here you know when you I'm now watch, replaying it when you're watching it I'm thinking and then Kevin what did he do that for <laughs> Yeah, yeah, what to yeah, just flick it on, boot it out. <laughs> I mean, you would have got the biggest cheer you've ever got. And then, obviously, from there, I mean, just it's that a, finish is incredible. I mean, I, I, I can still exactly remember how I was feeling at the end of that game. I thought it was going to be sick. And uh, I, I remember running into the back garden. I was so excited. And uh, I stubbed my toe on the sofa as well when I got up and went out and tell, shout and tell my mum and dad that, you know, we'd won. And I stubbed my toe, and I just—I remember thinking I should be—I oh, should really scream out in pain here, but I couldn't. I was too excited, and I thought I was going to be sick. <laughs> it was just the best night. I mean, did it? How, what? How long did it take, really, to properly sink in what you'd actually done? Because that—it was just such an incredible feat. Because when beaten at Liverpool Anfield for I don't know since the early seventies, I think at that point. Yeah, and, I think it was about thirteen or fourteen years, wasn't it? it was something. Yeah, it was, it was something, yeah. yeah. Something ridiculous. And I mean, they were, they were far more dominant then than they are now, aren't they? Well, let's yeah. put it in perspective. Well, I mean, it, it sinks in pretty quickly when you've got that trophy in your hands. Let, let's be sure. So, no, I mean, I mean, <laughs> just the whole overall feat of what you do. Of course, yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, look, I, look, but, I mean, I still look back now and I just appreciate what a tremendous occasion it was I mean we took the flowers out before you know be, you know, mm. when we went out to the pitch and the one thing that always stands in my mind after, after that though was when they did the presentation with the trophy and I'll always thank Liverpool supporters for this is that ground was full mm. absolutely full and a lot of people a lot of other supporters would have left straight away in sheer disappointment but they absolutely clapped us off the pitch. It was, you, uh, you know, I will never, obviously, I'll never forget it. But it, it was, you know, it brings a brings a little smile to my face uh, every time I think about it. And when, uh, obviously, even at the new stadium now, when you walk into the players' entrance, you've got on the right hand side there that picture of Mickey Thomas uh, scoring that that goal right in the final moments. I always look round and just have a, a little smile to myself and think, yeah, that was that was some occasion. And I think that was the moment that really brought us the belief into this squad that we could go on and win and win other trophies along the way. To, to be fair though, you know, when you came out of the tunnel that day, 
and you laid the flowers down at the cop. You know, that was a bit of a moment there. You know, I mean, I, I was in the pub back home watching it and the whole pub went quiet and all the Liverpool fans in the pub were clapping you. And I, I, I think, you know, I, I was talking to some uh, Liverpool fans um, when the FA Cup was in Cardiff and they always mention that. The fact that because you, you, you came out, you laid the flowers down at the cop, etc. They were always going to stay behind to clap you, if, you know, if the impossible happened. And, and, and the impossible did happen that night, and it was, you know, it, it, it was a phenomenal experience to watch and to to think, you know, you stood there thinking they've just gone to the home of British football for the last twenty years, and they've beaten the champions two 0 and this is the most amazing night of my life. I know it was just set up for Liverpool to win it with with obviously the. It was just all laid out for them to to be the champions after Hillsborough and everything. It just seemed, I think the whole country thought it just seemed right that they were going to win it. And that's what I mean. It's just, it's the biggest um, night in Arsenal's history, arguably. I, I think, I'm sure it is. And yeah. it, it that's what I mean about sinking in about what went on that night. Not just the fact that you're champions, but what happened because it's never going to be forgotten uh, for generations and um, it, do you imagine if Sky was around at that point the way the Aguero moment happened a few years ago can you imagine what would have happened you know in this well, day and age with the way media is if if it happened well, it, then, would, it, it would have been the greatest finish ever wouldn't it uh, um, well, yeah, it, would have it still is it still is but Sky does don't want us to believe that. So no, football didn't exist before. Then, no, yeah, exactly. But it, no, it no, was just it was... phenomenal. It, it's just incredible. And then, you know, th- I just want to thank thank you for giving us that night because you know you actually, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have scored two goals that night. Genuinely, would we? So, you know, what a thing to be involved in, Nigel. It's amazing. You know. James, um, do, do you know that's probably the first time that that free kick worked in the whole season? <laughs> <laughs> we used to practice because what we used to do if we got free kicks wide, we used to practice uh, obviously op- opposite side swinging it into the goal, and all we all we used to practice in training was whipping it in with pace, head height, and literally all you were trying to do was hit the far post. So that it, it may go in, it may if it was direct at that time, you could, you know, it would just go in direct, or the defender would get a little nick on it, own goal, or as happened on the night that Smudger got a little touch to it. But uh, mm. I can't I can't remember it happening for the for the whole of uh, the whole of that season. So uh, it was worth all the practice, though. Oh no, James, over to you because I know you've got to go soon. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask Nigel about um, our European triumphs. Um, obviously, we've touched on the most dramatic night in the club's history. I was a five-year-old boy, but I still remember it going and coming in the blink of an eye. But one of my fondest memories is the uh, Cup Winners' Cup win. And I, I still, you know, considering it's the last time we won a European trophy, um, it remains one of the fondest memories I've got in my 30-plus years of supporting the club. I wanted to ask Nigel, how does he look back on that European campaign and, and, what, his, and what the team... And uh, what they all achieved together, because Nigel's touched on it about the the collective working together and the belief and the hunger, and you know also the Cup Kings of '93. But with '94 being one of my fondest memories, I wanted to ask Nigel how he looks back on that European triumph. Well, it was a, you know, if if I'm honest with you, again, it was a game we went into uh, such underdogs, 
We had some injuries uh, as well. We played against a very, very good Palmer team. If you look back at some of the players that were playing for them at the time, they were a very, very strong team. But uh, I mean, my one of my memories that I remember of that, and I still keep questioning myself, and I've asked some of the players because they don't remember it, is we got there quite early. And when we were walking um, through towards by the dressing room, there was a dress rehearsal going out on the pitch. And I just looked across at the pitch and, and on the uh, where they were doing the ceremony, it was like, it said Palmer winners. And I was like, really? hold on a minute here. Yeah, I was like, hold on a minute here. We haven't even played the game yet. Well, obviously, Arsenal was on the other side, but they'd, obviously they'd, they'd already done that or they hadn't done it yet. So, but I think for me, that was like, Oh, okay, a minute. That's you know, that's a, that's all we need to know. Mm. Let's see what yeah, let's see what really happens. But again, I think it was it's just taking your in sport. You're given very few opportunities to be successful, and you've got to do everything you can to make sure that as a team you you come off as a winner. And uh, as I said before, you know, I played at Arsenal for 13 years. And some of the teams I played in, when it had to deliver 90% of the time or 95% of the time, it delivered uh, and it, it won some of the some of the biggest trophies. As I said, it was, uh, it was such an honour to, to play for the club and, and so many great players. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was a, a, another you know, strong performance from us defensively. You know, Zola was playing, Asprilla. Broly, I mean, yeah, they had some attacking line up there. Wow! Um, so you know, it was yeah, it was it was, and again, keeps having a habit, doesn't he? Smudge of scoring those goals. Yeah, that was a great goal, wasn't it? Really, it was, good a, goal. Great, it was a great goal. It was. Yeah. A, I remember diving into the arms of my sister. I remember <laughs> just obviously being a kid and still being at school and being able to stay up and watch it. I just remember diving into the arms of my sister when that goal went in. And I remember as well the previous rounds. You know, I remember like when you go from the beginning of the competition and, and getting through and, and, you know, going away and, and with Standard Liège as well, you know, beating Standard Liège 7 0. Well, yeah, we, felt, yeah we, walloped, we walloped them, that's, that's for sure. I know that Kevin Campbell, who was a previous guest on the show, had actually a good run in that competition as well. I think he he scored a few goals um, in the run-up to to winning that cup. Yeah, Kev, a lot of the time under George, I mean, he he played occasionally up front, but he also played from the right-hand side as well, Mm. you know. Mm. Kev was so strong, so so powerful. Very, very difficult to knock off the ball as well. So he he put in some really strong performances out on that right-hand side. Yeah, it did. It did. Listen, I know you're pushed for time and I'm absolutely gutted because I, I literally could go on for, a, well, a couple of hours easy. <laughs> there were so many questions in my head. Uh, I don't know if you've got time for, for one or two more questions, but uh, first thing, Paolo Di Canio, please discuss. Well, he loves me. <laughs> <laughs> everyone does. Everyone does, Nigel. Well, listen, I mean, uh, you know, if you can't laugh at yourself, then yeah. that, I mean, I look at that incident. And by the way, the royalties coming in for it are very nice. They keep me very <laughs> happy. <laughs> uh, it's like slaves uh, every Christmas every I, Do you know what? I, I, I still look back at it and I don't even know why, because I wasn't even involved in, mm. the, in the incident. But I thought I'd just let Paolo have a little bit as he was going off and thank him for leaving the pitch early um, <laughs> and he 
he he just didn't like it. And at that split <laughs> second, I'm thinking he's going to wallop me here. Um, <laughs> it takes a it takes a braver man than me just to stand there. Let me tell you. So I'm thinking I'm going to duck out of the way if he goes. Because <laughs> there's one thing I'm. If I do lose my temper, then I completely lose it. So uh, I didn't want to get into any situation. So I'm thinking I'm just, you know, he's gonna, he's just gonna lamp me here, and I'll just, <laughs> I'll just look out of the way. And of course, he then stopped. Uh, and you know, it, it, you know, it probably goes down as a good comedy episode, doesn't it? But you know, it's, it was one of those things that happened. And every time people talk about it, they accept, they expect me to get upset and to, to and to, but. You know, I, I, I mean, I went to West Ham with with Paolo. We changed next to each other. We got on very, very well. So, you know, we, we, we you know, we formed a very, very strong a sort of relationship in terms of the way that he played the game and his desire to win was pretty similar to mine. So, I think we had a, a real good mutual understanding of uh, what was what was you know what we what was expected of each other but we got along fine we didn't we didn't have any fallouts over it and then obviously you remember when we did the uh, reacting of that yeah, in the um, legends. Yeah. You know, the legends game but yeah. the only poor thing the only poor thing from that was that the referee didn't want to get involved because I can't remember who the referee on the day was but we asked him to reenact it with us but he wasn't too keen, so we just had to do. It. I thought, well, we just have to do it ourselves. So let's get on with it. But uh, you know, it's Fantastic. something I always, it's something I always laugh about. I never really, I don't take myself too seriously if I'm if I'm honest. So uh, it's just one of those moments. It's, again, something that everyone remembers. It was. It's, I mean, he was, he was a player I really admired. I really liked Paolo Di Canio. I must admit, even though a lot of fans hated him because he roughed people you know a lot of the other clubs uh, up the wrong way but I, I really respected him for the way that he played the game yeah. and uh... terrific terrific talent uh, there's no doubt about that the only one question I'd love to have asked him uh, and I, I didn't ask him while he was there because um, I was a bit older and I don't think I'd be able to duck out of the way this time was <laughs> you know, why with that talent he should have been able to play for a top team yeah Oh, it's a, a bit odd. In the Premier League, and I don't know why he didn't. Whether he mm. felt more comfortable being the big fish, you know, in a, in a smaller team, or, but uh, he certainly had the ability to, to play in one of the top teams, that's for sure. Yeah. It's the, one of the best goals I've ever seen was that scissor kick. We didn't call it a scissor kick. But, sorry, could you, I've to, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, fine. Oh, oh, great, yeah. One uh, last thing quickly is, well, uh, Jason, I hope try and get a question in for yourself as well. But one last thing for myself, your two goals are most distinctly remember. I think your two most famous goals were the long-range ones against Wimbledon and Chelsea. And I think one of them, I can't remember which one it was, but you hit it with your right foot. Was it a Chelsea one? No, uh, Wimbledon at home was uh, was the right-footed Right, oh, foot goal. I yeah, don't. Uh, to be honest, I mean, I don't even know why I hit that shot. If I, I just took the touch and it just, it the ball just went inside slightly, and it just sat up so nice. And those, um, remember those tango balls that we used to use? Oh, I love those. They used yeah. To, yeah, 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 they used to move around like anything. So um, the what good thing about that, once I hit it. It just went completely straight like an arrow. And I, I knew straight away it was in. 
And uh, I think, to be honest with you, my teammates were more surprised. <laughs> when you, when I think everyone was. Well, when you see Merce coming up to me saying, you've just scored with your right foot. It's like, <laughs> you, can't, you, you can't even stand on it. So, um, yeah, I mean, to me, that was my best goal. But I, I know really... maybe because it's a slightly more modern and later in my career, a lot of people talk about the, uh, the Chelsea goal as well. Incredible. Was there, not, was there not another goal where it's Scarborough, Nigel, in the mist? Was that was another one? Yeah, but I can't tell you anything about it because nobody's ever seen it. Oh, I remember I remember seeing it on, on an old highlights video once. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, uh, the, the thing about that, the, the, the weird thing about that game was um, it was nearly cooled off. It was foggy. The pitch was so waterlogged. They had the fire brigade on there pumping the water off before the game. I mean, you would have never played that game today. I mean, it was. It was it, I mean, the, the mud came up to your ankles trying to run in. It was just a disaster. Um, and like you say, it was, it was about twenty yards left hand side of the box. Um, yeah, and when I hit it, I only knew I'd scored because the crowd started clapping. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was that foggy. You couldn't see it. No, I mean, it, yeah, it was. Um, but it was, yeah, it was another good strike. I mean, the good thing for, um, I didn't get many goals, but luckily for me, they were all, or most of them, 90% of them were were from distance. So um, they're, not, they're nice to remember. Mm. Definitely. Jason? Nigel, uh, you know, you, you were there for such a long time, 13 years, you said, you know, the end of George's era came, all the acrimony with them, uh, but we, we know what happened. Then Bruce Rio coming in, and then Arsene, and then the double. You know, I mean, how do you feel at that time? And you know, when you were lifting that trophy up against Everton, and you know, you're you're, 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 you're champion again. You're a champion again, and it, it just seemed amazing the way the sort of the wheel had turned. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we. I, I I've said it on many occasions. I think I did one or two even two maximum training sessions with Arsene Wenger and I just knew that I had to try and do everything I could to make sure I stayed at the football club and I would be part of the, the, the team. His his training methods were, were just were, they were just so different and you think it's a game of football you put a ball out you train but he's the way that he did it the understanding that he had of the older players if you like um how we train, particularly in pre-season with fitness sessions, everything was graded from from your age down. So you would, if everyone was running a hundred meters, let's say, if you had to, if the younger ones had to do it in twelve and a half seconds, the older ones would have to do it in thirteen and a half seconds, even fourteen seconds. And if we were doing four or eight hundred meter runs. You know, he would add the time on for the older players or the older group, uh, and then a lot of the running was done with foot, with running with balls, and then uh, for fullbacks it was uh, fitness work with crossing and different situations you find yourself in on the pitch. So, just his methods of training and the freedom that he gave you to go out and play. I mean, he basically just said, "Go out and play and enjoy yourselves." I just know you're good enough to organise yourselves. And, and then what he did, he's obviously kept the back four intact, but the players that he brought in front of us were so good. 
that um, you know it was it was such a privilege to play in that in that period of time. I would say that was one of one of the most enjoyable periods, solely in terms of football played. It was it was it was remarkable. It was you know you can imagine playing professional football and being paid to do something you want to do, and the manager just says to you, "Just go out and play. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it." It's mm. just, it's just, it's just ridiculous to think about. It, it's so funny. We, we were watching the, um, uh, the the Everton game in the pub back home, and it's bank holiday Sunday. Of course, we had a few, and Adam scores, and the whole, you know, the whole pub in West Wales is shouting E O E O. You know, everybody's having fun. And my Anthony said, "This means more than eighty nine. Look at the football we're playing. Look at everybody smiling and everybody's happy. And it was so funny that, you know, 89 was such a magnificent moment, so full of emotion. And yet, that 97-98 season was, it, it just seemed happier. I, I don't know what it was. Maybe it's the, the sun was shining that day. But it seemed as though everybody's been through the mill and they've come out the other end and they, they're just enjoying themselves. I think it was because we weren't drunk, we could understand what was going on. <laughs> no, no. I, th- I think, to be fair, I've always said what I call the modern times of Arsenal is without George Graham and the team and the setup, what he did for the club and the players there, I don't think we would have got the Arsene Wenger tribute that we got in terms of trophies won. I think... One was a natural progression to the other. One, George Graham was so organised, he brought in sort of, if you want, lower league players with the players that were already at Arsenal, got rid of all the established players, put in a strong sort of backbone of of, uh, what an understanding it was to be part of the club. And then Arsene Wenger just came in and kept the back four together, although he was told to, you know, split it up. And then just tinkered around with the midfield and, and forward line. And it was just or it was just open, attacking, free-flowing football. But with the know-how that we had so many good players that our organization, we could just we could just do it ourselves. And um, you know, it was it was it was as I said to you, it football-wise, just if you wanted to go out and play a game of football on a Sunday, I mean that's what you would pick every day of the week, but mm. I think I don't think without George Graham's start and the, the way that he disciplined the players, I'm not sure we would have got the complete Arsene Wenger package um, because I think it needed the older players and the back four to be there to make the players, particularly the foreign players coming in, to understand what Arsenal Football Club was all about. And then once we'd done that and won 98, and then obviously I. 2000, I left, and then some of the back four started to be disbanded a bit. Um, you know, then the 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 what Arsenal meant was already there. Vieira, uh, you talked to uh, Henri uh, Burkamp. Uh, Burkamp was there anyway, but you they then got to realise, you know, over Mars there what this meant to this uh, the, the players of this football club and. I think that just drove Arsene Wenger's teams further forward and, you know, I'd say up to 06 was 
an unbelievable period to be to be part of the club, but to watch the style of play as well. And mm. some of the players was incredible because I'd actually written down a, my sort of team uh, that I played with and players after me. And I've looked at the 11 and I could probably pick 20. I'm that so undecided and that tells you how good some of the some of the players were there at that period of time. Well, they all were good, but yeah. you know they were just just some incredible players. Have you got time to just quickly go through your say your your starting eleven of the best the best players you you well, played? Well, I mean, I, literally, I've only done it since when I joined the club and then through to today, and I haven't thought about this too much. But very very quickly, I put Seaman, Dixon, Adam, Campbell, Cole. I could have put in Sampson. I could have put in Bold, O'Leary and Keown. Mm. Vieira and Gilberto. I could yeah. have put in Petit, Cazorla or Fabregas. Perez, Burkamp, Overmars, Henri. I could have put in Rocastle, Lundberg and I put, could have put in Wright up front. Mm. I mean, that's not a too bad a team. I tell you what, if I had that team today and I was manager, I'd be very happy. Oh yeah, definitely. 100%. And you obviously keep yourself still very, very fit. You still do the uh, sort of matches with, you know, play with the legend matches, don't uh, That's right, isn't it? So you still keep playing. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting on, you know, I'm, I think I'm the oldest member now. And uh, just over the last year or so, the body is starting to reject me a little. So, but I still, <laughs> I still, I was up until a couple of years ago, I was still playing with friends. I played in a six aside Vex League. Uh, and then just on a Thursday night, we just had a group of mates that used to just rock up and play. Um, and unfortunately, I still had to like them pay for the privilege of turning up. <laughs> but I used to play twice. A, I used to play twice a week, six aside and eight or nine aside. But I'm down to once a week now, and the the body's just starting to reject me a little bit. But I'm in denial. I won't I won't give in until um, until I have to. So, but I just you know. If anybody asks me to go and have a game of football, I'll go because I just absolutely love it. Yeah, um, and that's just that's just the way I am. Absolutely. Well, bearing in mind your your fitness and everything now, what do you think the largest animal is you could wrap around your shoulders and run a hundred meters with? Uh, probably a cat. Really? Do <laughs> bigger than a cat, unless you're talking about a, 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 a tiger or a lion. No, I'm. I'm Fortunately, I'm a I'm a little bit weaker than I used to be, um, and as I said to you before, I can't duck out of the way anymore. So I don't want to I don't want to be annoying anybody anymore. So what about, what about the old uh, the older one where you what's the largest animal you could single handedly cling film to a lamppost? Oh, you've got me there. Go on. No, no, that's the question. What's the largest animal you could single handedly cling film to a lamppost? Me personally, yeah, oh, I reckon it'd be a giraffe. Really, blimey, that's pretty good going to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I reckon I, could, I, I reckon mine would be probably be like a sloth or something like that. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, I might hold you to that. <laughs> I have to do it live on YouTube one day. Listen. Well, how are you doing for time, Nigel? Can you can we ask you what one or two quick fire questions that we've got from the chat group? Uh, you can, yeah. You you know you're already paying me a fortune, so you might as well right. carry on. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, 
what are your thoughts? Uh, I think <laughs> Ryan, you've asked what the what are your thoughts on the current Arsenal situation that's brewing. Uh, I mean, how could we do this briefly? Do you see? Uh, you can do we, some. Do you see Emery going soon? Um, I, do you know what? I'm, I'm I'm never a great believer in. I hate the debates of uh, managers in and out. I, I simply refuse to discuss that because I think we yeah. should support the team uh, mm. that's there. But I am very worried mm. uh, where we are at this moment in time. I was worried at the end of last season uh, with our away form, which we should have walked into the top four yeah. and we didn't. And we then capitulated in the cup final and our away form this season is atrocious. I looked the other day, uh, our away form so far, we're 13th in the league and Southampton and Newcastle have got more points away from home than we have. Mm. That's simply not good enough. No. Um, and I'm struggling at the moment to understand why we want to sit so deep to defend when our strength is in attack. Yeah. Um, it does, you know, people talk to me about Leicester and I was so frustrated because People said, oh, we were we were compact, but we weren't compact. We weren't in control of the game. We still conceded chances, so we might as well have sat a little bit higher, tried to use our strengths, and if we conceded chances, all well and, and be. But I think we had one shot on target. That's not Arsenal. No. And I'm, if I'm honest, I am, I am very worried at, at the moment. And... Um, I just don't think that it, it, we can continue um, for many more games with it like it is. It's got it's got to change very quickly. Yeah, we're definitely underperforming. I think that's the least uh, that we can say on the on the current situation. And um, for all of the worry about Spurs and and everything that's going on with them at the moment, they're only three points behind us. So and they're in fourteenth. So it it is the worrying. Yeah, I think before we start looking and mocking other teams, I think we need we to, to make sure that we need to make sure that we are back where we want to be. And yeah. if I'm honest with you, I think we're a long way from where we need to be. So I'm more concentrated on what we need to try and achieve than than worrying uh, about what other teams are achieving. But mm. you know, it's, it's no, you know, it, it is what it is. Mm. Before I go, I just wanted to touch on. Before I go, I just wanted to touch on. I think the players have to take responsibility as well. I think this you can't just put everything at Emery's door. Nigel mentioned tonight about the collective spirit of the sides he played in, where players and management were all together fighting for the same cause. I look at what Emery done at Sevilla and Valencia. And I look at his charisma when he's in his press conferences and speaking to the Spanish media. Okay, it's his own mother tongue, but it looks like a different guy. And um, you know, it's, he know. I think he know. He's aware of the challenge in front of him, and you just want him to show a bit more, show a bit more oomph, if you like. And you know, we have a history of sticking by our managers. And um, I think I just think we take one day, one game at a time. And as as you just touched on Andrew about the the places in the leagues, think in the league things can change very quickly. And I think many many football fans forget it's a long old season. 
I think people forget, fan-wise, how long a football season actually is with many a twist and turn. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure tonight. I've really enjoyed it. Nigel, it's been great to speak to you. Really enjoyed your thoughts. And um, I look forward to speaking to you all again in future. Cheers. Thank you very thank much. You. Cheers, James. You're well. All the best. Bye-bye. Nigel, who's the best player you've ever played with? Um, well, I, I've always said Burkamp. Um, because Thierry was only, I was only with Thierry Henry for the year. Um, so that was hard to judge what Thierry was going to achieve. But boy, he was some, when I, after, when I left in 2000, I mean, he, he really did come alive. He, um, unbelievable, mm. unplayable at times. So, I mean, uh, Burkamp was classy, just just the quality that he brought to the team, but also Henri was was you know on a different level than uh, than a lot of his teammates who were very very good as again, but he was the next step up again when he was in his in his real pomp. So uh, you know if if I'd have spent a lot longer with Thierry, I might have said Thierry, but Burkamp just for his just for his the way that he conducted himself. Um, just, just an incredible player. That's a class. Uh, just uh, one quick question that came in from the, the chats as well. Obviously, we we're talking about the transition between uh, Graham to Wenger. Obviously, the, the, we had um, Bruce Rioch in between. Uh, how was that year with, with uh, under him? Next question. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! Oh. Did he ever work? Did, did, did the guy ever work again? I, I, I don't know. But that, no, that... I mean, I, I, what the one manager <laughs> Bruce was one manager that I really didn't. I don't say didn't get along with, but I found very difficult to understand. His mind games were just far too much for me. Right. One day he was your best mate. The next day he walked straight past you and blanked you as if you were a kid. In you know he's like, I've never seen you in my life before. Okay. You're absolutely useless, basically. And then the next minute you were the best thing since you know sliced bread sort of thing. It's it. I just, to be honest, um, I wasn't disappointed when he left. Um, I think if he'd have stayed, it would have been. I would have. Well, I knew he was trying to get rid of me, so. Um, wow. I would have been gone um, but I just it was a manager that I didn't understand what he wanted if I'm honest I couldn't couldn't work him out um, so I'm pleased that he fell out with Wrighty and Wrighty did my job for me yeah. <laughs> well it's like Stan we've got a good friend from Vancouver who's a Londoner but living in Vancouver at the moment Stan the man thank you for watching Stan he's put in there uh, that he wanted to play Wrighty on the wing and and it was just, uh, it just, it just, it well, seems very really, similar, the, the Emery situation now, to, to him. He wanted to get rid of Wrighty, that's for sure. And mm. he wanted to bring in, yeah, he wanted to get rid of Wrighty and bring someone in him who he thought was better. And I don't want to be disrespectful, so I'm not going to mention that player's name. But let me tell you, Wrighty was about 10 levels ahead of him, that's for sure. Um, mm. And I think that's why David Dean saw that the writing was on the wall that um that there was there was no way that it was going to continue past one season and thankfully for me it didn't else i don't think 
I think my Arsenal career would have been a lot shorter as well. Wow. Well, with well I didn't, I didn't, you know, it's just, I just didn't understand. I didn't have a problem with, with Bruce at all. I just didn't understand him. I didn't, I can't understand how too much mind games for me, if that's what it was, why mm. someone would talk to you one day and then just walk past you the next day. It's just not, it just didn't sit comfortable with me. That's for sure. Was he like that with most players, or just do you feel like it was he was sort of singling you out, or? Uh, I, no, I, I think he was. I just think he was complex. I think he wanted. I, I think he just didn't want a lot of the players that were at that at the club at the time, and he wanted to replace them. And uh, I don't know whether he thought that was the best way to do it, but it, it didn't sit. It didn't sit pretty with me. That's for sure. No. The thing that strikes me is, you know, when George came in and the likes of yourself, Lee, Steve Bold, Arsene Wenger, Vieira, Petit, if people came in and embraced the club and embraced who was there and bought into it, they did well. And and things went well for them. But if people wanted to come in and change everything, it always kind of seemed to apart. Yeah, but to be fair, on the flip side of that, what I give him credit for is that he, you know, he brought Burkamp in and and, and with, with David Platt. So it wasn't that. It just it was. I think it was more his demeanour, maybe his coaching methods, maybe you know, I wasn't part of his plans. I just, you know, George Graham was the manager. We were the players. He was a bit standoffish with us, but we knew exactly where we were. We knew where we could push the boundaries, give or take, and but the manager would be right behind us if we were giving him the level of performance. Arsene Wenger said to you, was just go out and play. Show me what how good you are and just get on with it. Um, and I just... But George Graham... I, I'm sorry, with Bruce Rea, I just didn't really understand what he wanted. That's all yeah, it was. Man. I don't have anything against him. That's strange. Well... Last thing then before you go, what's your one abiding memory of your time at Arsenal? Above all else, I don't think I've got one. I think I've said it on many occasions. Uh, such a privilege uh, to be part of that football club at an unbelievable time, um, mm. and I think it just makes me feel or feel so proud. Um, then you walk around the new stadium and you see yourself on the outside of it mm. that you are part of history and you've given a lot of supporters um, a lot of joy along the way that hopefully they will remember for a very, very long time. Well, we're, we're very proud to have had you play for Arsenal. I know that I can speak for uh, most fans, Nigel, and... It's been such such a pleasure, and I can't thank you enough for, for coming on tonight. I really, really uh, appreciate it. I'm sure everyone watching and listening appreciates it as well. So, yeah, well, thank you for your 13 year service to to this great club, and thank you for coming on. Cheers! Thank you very much. Thank Thanks you, so much, Cheers, thank you. Thanks ever so much. Um, Cheers! Bye. Bye. Wow, that's amazing. I love it. I could have had another hour, two hours easy. He's a decent bloke as well, isn't he? Just, you know, very honest in the way he answers everything. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not what you want to hear. It's what he wants to say. I know. I know. Yeah,
absolutely yeah uh, uh, up for a up for a laugh Tell, tells it as it is you know i couldn't believe that <laughs> with the the bruce Riox situation we could have delved into that a lot deeper um oh. yeah fantastic i mean i, mean, I wasn't expecting that at all was you yeah. Yeah, no i wasn't to be honest yeah, but i think you may need a psychologist to discuss the um, uh, bruce Riox stuff well it sounds a lot like to like emery to me uh, as a man that's what strikes me as I, I i i don't i just find the times that you know and, and to be fair nigel led you know he gave the honest answer i'm not sure if, for me i look at some people they come in they embrace the club and as he said he, he bought in bergkamp he bought in platt and i remember thinking platt at the arsenal great bergkamp this is fantastic mm. but you know you can't um uh you can't ditch you know oh. the stalwarts. You know whether no, you went, no. you went, you went to burn because they were they were integral parts of that team. Uh, it's it's just a bit of career suicide. But the thing is, I'm sure that he must have thought, right? Well, I'm the new man around here now. Um, you know, following George Graham, who was a uh, you know. Uh, Everyone knows what he was like at Arsenal, disciplinarian and amazing success um, and respect. And he came in and thinking, probably maybe had a bit of a chip on his shoulder, wanting to make an impression and started throwing his weight around and it backfired on him massively by the sounds of it. Mm, You know, what an opportunity as well, you know, for any manager. What an opportunity. I just don't get it. I just, I don't. I never have understood understood it when people want to, you know, everything's got a natural life cycle. We know that. Mm. That's the way the world. But to, to break things up early when they, they do work well, you know, um, you know, we kind of know at the end of George's stay, it was, let's be honest, you know, he, he was embittered about the, the amount of money the players were earning and he wasn't earning that much. And... It was just a sad situation from a, going for a great manager to fall it that way, you know. But um, uh, you know the Rio thing. I I remember I remember thinking when I'd never heard of Arsene Wenger, I was still relieved it wasn't going to be Rio. I know, I know. Well, talking about um, you know people moving, managers moving on. We've got to discuss the Spurs situation. Uh, I mean, I. I I saw it coming in lots of ways, but I was still shocked yesterday uh, when I had the notification come up about him leaving, getting sacked. Not just, you know, a mutual thing. He was sacked. That that surprised me a bit. And then very, very swiftly followed by the announcement of Maureen as his replacement. So what, what were your initial thoughts? Were you expecting it or shocked? In all, in all honesty, when when I heard about it, Wales were playing, um, mm. so it, it kind of whatever, you know. Um, I laughed a bit, and then Aaron Ramsey, that's for you, Danny. That's for you, Danny. Um, Rambo starts scoring goals, and it's like, Woo-hoo! you know, I'm over the moon. And then when the rumours are going about, going on about Mourinho coming in. And then it being confirmed this morning, it, it just seemed, you know, there's been talk bubbling away about him leaving all season, you know? It's been talk of him wanting away, it's been talk about United. The way it's come about, um, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I think there's more to this than meets the eye, you know? I think, obviously, sort of Mourinho's been tarting himself about, 
He wants mm. a job. Um, you know, things have gone badly wrong this season at Spurs. You know, there's there's the, there's the backstory with the, you know Vertonghen and Eriksson, etc., etc., etc. I just think you know he wanted out and they needed a change. I'm not sure if they're going to get the change they want with Mourinho, but a lot of people dismissing Mourinho as a has been. I think that's pretty dangerous because that guy, you know, he plays a part. Um, did you watch the game for Grenfell? No, no, I didn't. Um, the game for Grenfell at um, uh, our Loftus Road. He really played the heel on the sidelines. Did he? He played to the crowd. He had great fun with the crowd. Okay, he ended up going in goal and stuff like that. And you can see the real man. Oh, uh, absolutely. And, and, and the sort of pantomime villain at the same time. So I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, you know, he's either going to win them a trophy or fail very badly. It, it, it's. How it's going to play out, I wouldn't like to say. Well, we, we know that it's going to end badly because it always does with him. But he, <laughs> it's how successful he's going to be in the interim because he's going to get a good... He always has a good year or two. And then it just goes... He, he corrodes the club from the inside out. It's like uh, swallowing uh, a blue bottle and it... It sort of giving birth to maggots in your stomach, and then it suddenly all the maggots start eating you from the inside out. That's what happens with Mourinho when he joins your club. And I'm going to enjoy watching it, to be perfectly honest, because that, uh, we know that's going to happen. Um, I I really didn't want Mourinho. I don't want Pochettino at Arsenal either. I'm not going to deny that he's uh, is a good coach. Um, yes, he hasn't won anything, but. We can all see that the improvements he made down the road, but I don't want him at Arsenal. He's he's a he's a failed Spurs manager. And there's plenty of other managers in the world. Why do we have to go for him? Uh, I think I just think there's some lines you don't cross. Yes, George Graham did it, but he's got an awful lot in the bank with Arsenal. So I I don't know. I I just don't fancy going down that road. I would rather. If we're going to want to get the right guy, I would rather we... Because we all know that we've got to get rid of Emery. The sooner the better, because the every point's precious now. And we've got to win 18 games out of the last 26, as, as I've mentioned before. And it's not going to be easy. So to give ourselves an, even an outside chance, we need to make a move now. Which, we it doesn't look like it's going to happen, let's face it. But I would rather take our time to find the right long-term permanent manager, maybe wait it out for someone like a Nagelsmann and appoint Freddie in the interim period to get that immediate up. Good uplift. It's like what Nigel said earlier about how nice it was when Wenger just said, go out and play. I mean, that was a, that was a really nice to hear, wasn't it? And that's how we, it would be by just removing Emery, I think, and putting someone like Freddie in, who everyone loves and respects. But everyone's got a lot of time for him. I think they would work for Freddie. No problem. And I think he would give them that license to go out and enjoy themselves and express themselves and just actually put do the basics right, like getting everyone defending properly as a team and actually playing players in their right bloody positions for a start. I don't think it would take an awful lot to get that immediate uplift and new manager bounce. And it doesn't have to last forever. 
but anything I think that Freddie could offer would be absolutely 10 times better than what we're seeing at the moment. I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay. I, I, I love Freddie. Um, love him as a player. Will he get a new manager bounce if he, if, if he's a temporary appointment or whatever? He may well I do. think a lot of it would be. I think a lot of it would be down to how he, how the players are, are, are treated and how they respect him. I honestly think he would. I really do think it'll be that that new manager bounce, one hundred percent. Like I, like you know what he got when Maureen left them. I think you know you're going to look at here uh, yeah, the clarity of message and you know the tactics and setup that he goes out with. I think you, I think having him him having been there now, he will see very confused messages back and forth between Unai and the team and the coaching staff. I think, you know, obviously Unai's his boss at the moment, so he has to toe the line. If he's in charge, yes, he can he can tidy that up. A clarity of message will, you know, hopefully help us improve. Um, as far as a long-standing vision for how we want to play football, how we want to set up the type of players we want to use, how to get the best of the players, that's going to take a lot more thought and it's going to take a lot more planning and preparation. Um, is Freddie the right man for that at the moment? He may well be, you know, you know, he may well be, but somebody um, and that somebody's going to be Raul and, and, and you know, alongside Edu and Vinay have to pick a manager to take us forward. Yeah, because... I, I don't know, that's what I don't want to rush. I don't yeah. want to run, jump up because I, you know, this sounds really strange and uh, I may be a bit over the top, but I almost think that what's happened down the road with Spurs, I almost think that they've done it now because it looks so likely that Arsenal were going to appoint Mourinho. I think it made them jump quickly to get him. And that, if that's if that's the case, then that's the best bit of trolling Arsenal have ever done because they've got Mourinho a three-year contract down the road, and that's fantastic in my book because he's going to corrode that club. He, but yes, I'm not denying that they're going to get some uh, an immediate uplift, I, I should imagine, but it won't last. It won't last, and it's going to cause more problems than it uh, than it solves. And I almost think they've done it now. This quickly, because it, it he was spotted down there at Arsenal. The rumours are so strong that he was going to join Arsenal, and it may have forced their hand. What do you think about that? It, it might well have. You know, I mean, let's be honest. Um, uh, you know, um, Jose and his and his agent have got you know they're, they're master manipulators. That's what they've always done. It, you know, it may be. I, I don't think it's. Let me just clarify. You said master manipulators. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's yeah, probably yeah. got something else when he said it so quickly. Uh, it, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> Sorry, but, carry on. It's okay, uh, but uh, but you know, you you look at it. I don't think it's trolling on our end. I I, I genuinely don't. I don't. No, think... no. I was I was joking about that part. Yeah, but but uh, but no. But uh, you know, some people will maybe think that. Um, but I just find it a surreal situation at the moment. I look at the state the two clubs are in. You know, we're, we're all playing crap football. Um, you know, there's sort of eight places and three points, um, uh, you know, between us. Okay, you know, there's only three. It's one win. Their goal difference is better than ours. 
Okay, you know, it, it's it's a painful, painful season so far for a lot of clubs. You know, from ourselves, United, Wolves, you know, um, Southampton, you know, all these people. But there's not that many points no. you know, covering the, the sort of bo- the bottom half of the table. I, well, I, I mean, yesterday, I have to admit, and I put it on Twitter, that I'm not going to go down that road on this show because I want this show to be a nice, you know, happy show. Yeah. But I, yesterday, I was more pissed off with Arsenal uh, when I saw that they'd sacked Pochettino than I, than I have been for the, the, all this season and, all, and the, the end of last season because... They've just shown us how it's done. You know, they got to the Champions League final six months ago and it wasn't, it hasn't been going the, the way and they've just they've been decisive and got rid of their man. It's like ripping off a, a, a sticking plaster and they've got it done now. It's over, the, it's all out of the way. And we're dragging it out and dragging it out and dragging it out, making it as painful as possible pulling off that sticking plaster so that every single one of our arm hairs comes out individually to, to prolong the pain. And it it just it just made me angry because that's the way big clubs should act. And it's clear for all to see that Emery, and I'm not blaming Emery anymore, is well out of his depth. He's drowning and they're just letting it carry on and um, blaming the fans. So... Yeah. Uh, Andrew, I mean, you know, this this is the big point, you know. Okay, um, I, 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 the point you're making is valid. Okay, they've been decisive. You know, they they've made a decision. They've run with it. Right, fine. Okay, but there's making decisions and there's making good decisions. Okay, you know, as you've said yourself, you think you know. Okay, so Mourinho will get an initial uplift. He may well be, win them a trophy. But he will corrode them from the inside out. Mm. So, so you can be as decisive as you want to be, but if it's not a good decision, then you know it's negating the bonus point of you know right. We're going to act early. Absolutely. The, the the problem I have at the moment with our setup and and you know I don't give a monkey's about Tottenham Hotspur. Funny enough, I was talking to a Tottenham fan last week. Big 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 Spurs fan. Um, and he's saying he sits in, in in the white wall, and it's, he finds it a bit of a nonsense because they haven't got the trophies in the cabinet. You know, it's more of a vanity project rather than let's build the team, then build the stadium like Arsene did. And it's it's funny listening to him say you know say that it was. But I look at us at the moment. I look at, at Raúl, and I'm thinking, you know, you know. Unai's your man. You're the one who's who's recommended him to Ivan. You're the one. You and Sven have done that. You're the one who's who's briefed against people, whether it be Sven, whether it be Darren Burgess, Ramsey, Mesut Ozil. You're the one who's been who's brought this into the club. You're the one who has to deliver now. Because mm. make no bones about it, this guy. His modus operandi is Barcelona through and through. Let's brief through the press. Let's do this. He's the one who's causing the caustic atmosphere at the club at the moment. Yeah. You know, when you've got youth players taking the piss out of the manager in training and stuff like that, you know, whatever Unai Emery is, he doesn't deserve that. No, of course you not. Know I mean? 
Um, well, no, he's, he's letting him drown. Like I said, it's, it's totally his fault. And, and this is the thing now. This guy needs to deliver. Because I don't think he's up to mustard. I think, uh, you know, I thought he was brave with the um, with the Pepe signing. But I don't, you know, I, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of good young transfers made in the, in the transfer window, um, in some transfer window. We spoke about Martinelli, mm-hmm. Sabir, et cetera, on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are really nice ones for the future. But, uh, you know, to date, Pepe, you know, is flat and deceive. You, you've seen a lot of talent, but no end product, very little. You've seen them um, at Ceballos be, well, to be honest, bang average. Okay? And, and his reputation lives and dies. I, How would these pan out? I, I, I honestly, genuinely believe that you can't judge any players on this season so far. I really, I, I, I'm not standing. I, I'm not saying under any circumstances that none of this is down to any of the players. Of course, but they are not performing to their ab- utmost abilities. Primarily down to what they're being told. And they're going out every week on the pitch in a different formation with a different lineup, giving a different job. Because everyone keeps going on and on and on and asking the question about what is Unai's philosophy? Well, we know his philosophy. His philosophy is what he gave us a clue at early, well, when he first joined about being a chameleon team. And that means that we change every week to compensate for our opposition and to negate the opposition rather than force our style on the opposition he wants to negate the opposition's strengths and doesn't work to our strengths and we can see that right from when he joined we had a good run yes but we all know that we didn't play very well during that run so that that's his philosophy is to change that's why he used the chameleon team yeah and you know, we can't judge our players, especially Ceballos, when he's only 22, I, uh, I, at such an early stage, I don't believe. I think that's a very fair comment, okay? But I think this is more, not about judging just the players, this is judging Raul Sanlehi. Because he's gone out there and brought these players in for a manager who cannot use them properly. No. Okay? That's why we can't judge them. And, and, and this is the thing, okay? You know, um... From from what we've seen so far this season, you know it's it, it's been dire, it, 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 it's been embarrassing, it, it, it's been turgid, it's been boring, it's been awful. Okay, it sucked the joy of the football for me. Yeah, me, I mean, I I would rather put Freddie in charge and just let him get let the players just go and express themselves and just have fun on the pitch. And I don't even, I, I genuinely, and I can hold my hand up and say, I would rather go out and lose. 3-2 every week or 4-3 every week but watch exciting attacking football and see the players with smiles on their faces again because I haven't seen an Arsenal player look happy on the pitch for for, for months and they look bloody miserable and, and this is the thing okay? you know and, and I think a bang on the money okay nobody's happy at the moment okay it's turgid it's awful they're not enjoying themselves in the park Nobody's enjoying themselves in the stands. Nobody's enjoying themselves watching it at home. And, you know, when, when you've got um, a poisonous situation like that, okay, it takes leadership at the top of the tree to sort of change, turn that around. Unfortunately, 
you know, none of the not, none of the players trust anybody there. No. You know, you did your Bamiyang business a couple of weeks ago, you know, with the with the tweet with the Instagram post. Okay. Well, all that's come because guess what? That's all they've seen are the likes of Unai and um, and, and Raul briefing against their call their, their teammates, Sven, um, Dan Burgess, etc. All these things have happened and that's formed this caustic, you know, situation we've got. And now somebody's got to change it. Well, you know, I don't mind just playing pragmatic football, but we've never played pragmatic football under um, uh, under Unai. I don't mind just playing defensive football. I don't mind just playing balls out football. But get it right. Get plan A right, then plan B right, and build from there. But we've been, we're not doing that, are we? No, no, not at all. And I was. I went on Twitter after the Liverpool um, League Cup game and I was eulogising about that performance. And I've got so many comments coming back saying, what? You know, we let five goals in and blah, 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 blah. He said, you really enjoyed us. Our defence was shit and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I did. I really enjoyed that game. And it was fucking exciting. And that's what I want to watch. And, uh, of course, you know, it's not ideal to draw a five all and lose on penalties. But it was an exciting game and it was the first one we've had in so long, apart from, you know, a couple of the other cup performances earlier on in the season. So, yes, I mean, I would prefer that hand on my heart. And people will say, oh, yeah, you wait until, you know, uh, we start losing a game or two. You wouldn't like it then. But if we're playing really good, exciting football, that's what I want at the moment. And I, I, I don't want that long term. That's why I said I don't want us to rush into the appointment. And... I'd be very happy if we got a, a, a caretaker in like Freddie for a short while because even if it does go tits up, we'll watch some good, attractive, attacking football and we can make an appointment, permanent appointment afterwards. It's, it's whatever. We'll have however long that takes. Get the right guy. And if that means you have to wait till the end of the season, so be it. But I, I can't stand to watch this football between now and the end of the season. And I genuinely... <laughs> People think I'm overreacting, but we could genuinely, by Christmas, and when it comes to January, we could be in a, in a relegation fight if we carry on with Emery. Uh, and that's not being over, uh, you know, whatever. It, 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 that's the truth. It's facts. Andrew, we're closer to the relegation zone than we are at the top of the table. Right? I, I know. I, 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 and this is the thing. When people tell you, or, you know, when we, if we if we try to play attractive football or attacking football, you won't like it when we lose. But we're not exactly winning every game at the moment, do we? You know, our, our league form is we, we won, we've won a third of our games, we've drawn five, we've lost three. And to be honest with you, you know, we got a bit lucky on a couple of those as well. Mm. You know, much as, um, yes, we've, you know, we had, we've had a decision go against us here and there. You know, we've been awfully lucky at times. Um, I'm, I, I, you know, like I, I don't want a, a vendetta or a, or a witch hunt against Unai Emery. I can't, I can't see him being happy with what's no, happening. No, no. I mean, it's a miserable situation. He and, must be dressed up to the eyeballs. Oh, can, can you imagine? That, he must go to bed every night with a, with a yeah. banging headache. How is he sleeping? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. He must be going through the mill. Because I'm telling you now... I'm, I, I, I don't, I don't see him being good enough for a lower half of the table Premier League. So I don't see him Premier League quality because I've seen no 
coaching ability in him whatsoever. I, mean, I don't want to knock the guy. I really don't. I've got nothing against him as a person. He seems like a nice guy. But not one thing that he does on the pitch makes me think, oh, oh yeah, I can see what he's doing there. That's quite clever. I, I don't. But let's be honest. I, th- I think, you know, he, he went to a PSG job and that must, have been, that must have been a poisonous situation, you know. Neymar's basically running the team. Neymar and the players are running the team. You, you, you can't win because of all the egos. And I think maybe part of that has carried on into this role. Do you know what I mean? That you, mm. You've got a bit of that and he's got a bit of a complex about him. I think yeah, for, for Unai Emery, if I'm Unai Emery, look, you don't need the money, okay? You don't need the cash. When you go, I, know, I know, but his wife does. That's the problem. I can you imagine? Can you imagine what your missus would say if you walked out on ten million quid or whatever it's going to be? Look, him, we're going to pay him off. It's as simple as that. But the thing is, <laughs> you know, he needs a break from football and he needs to reassess where he is. Yeah, he does. What he's doing at the moment, it's not. It's not working on the pitch. It's obviously not making him happy. Every every scene. And I know, okay, it's difficult. It's not in his mother tongue. I want to do when he gives them, uh, when when he gives interviews. But speak in Spanish, then don't don't let yourself be misunderstood. Do what Bale does. You know, Bale can speak Spanish well enough, but he's mm. not gonna win. You know, the, can't be bothered, can he? Well, like, no, I see. He he he's, he wasn't allowed when the Spanish press to misinterpret him. Okay, because that's happened before, and now he's at the position where. He's been treated like shit by the fans and the press, so screw them, you know. Mm. So, so, so you're at that point, and I think Unai needs to protect himself a little bit as well because this is such a toxic situation for him. Oh, honestly, it is embarrassing for the club now. It's got. And I'm not just saying that as a throwaway comment. It's yeah. actually embarrassing for the club, and for him to come out at the end of the games and say he's happy with the performance and blah blah blah. It's it's just um, we've had I think two shots on target in three games. I know. Uh, I mean, how can we go on like that? I do the, the, the talent we've got on the pitch. And I, I, I'll tell you what, Peter. Sorry to, but people keep going on about this thing about uh, after the Leicester game and before the Leicester game. How many of the Arsenal team will get in the Leicester team? And have you, you must have heard that a yeah. dozen times. Easy. Yeah. Well, put yourself into in a position of thinking back to last Christmas when um, Puyol, Puy, uh, Puel, or whatever his name is, Claude Puel was in charge. Do you honestly think that question would have been asked then with this current squad? You know, we were better than them in every department because of the the way they were playing and the, the way that their mentality was at the time and their confidence was at the time. He was leaving out Jamie Vardy and he was pissing off all their players. Do you honestly think that we'd ask that question now? Uh, if, if it was against that Leicester, but they haven't changed any players. It's difficult, so, you know. It, it, it's it's the one thing you look at, okay, is that some jobs suit some managers, you know. I mean, and, and say what you want about Brendan Rodgers. I'm sure, I'm sure I said at the time I didn't want him at, at, at the Arsenal. I'm pretty, I'm pretty positive that's what I said. But I know that my mates were Swans fans. They liked him as a manager. They enjoyed the football. They um, uh, they they enjoyed the football. They thought. Yeah, I went up for the the playoff game, the Swansea Reading playoff game with, with the boys. And Swansea played bloody good football when they went up to the Premier League. They played mm. bloody good football. Okay, and unfortunately, when you know, yeah, we all know what 
you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. David Brent about him. And when he went to Liverpool, it made him a target. But, um, uh, you know, it's... well, he didn't help himself, did he? Yeah, with his portrait up and all that sort of stuff. And you know, sometimes I mean, we all get wrapped up in our little worlds, don't we? You know, but it's, I just find it. I, I look at us at the moment, and I just, I just wonder who's going to be the right character to come into the Arsenal to to embrace the squad, to grab it by the scruff of the neck, to shake it up, and to turn it into a positive place, and to 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 kind of take everybody on a journey the way George did. The way yeah. Arsene ended, you know, to say, right, this is what we're going to do. It's going to be a positive place. Whether you're playing pragmatic football or attacking football, I don't mind. But, you know, let's, I'm the boss. This is how we're going to do it. Get buy-in from everyone and take us forward. And I, I, I'm i not sure who that man is. Well, do you know, my, my choice would be is Chris Wilder. Hmm. I absolutely think that Chris Wilder would be perfect. And people think that oh, God, he's only had half a season. He's, how can you put, he's not just had half a season. For the last 10 years, he's been one of the most successful managers that there is. And you, you've got to get rid of this snobbery about, oh, well, it was only in the Championship or League One. Or League. I don't give a monkeys. Because it's, it's down to his amazing coaching ability. Yeah. And the, but the, if you say again, this is another thing people say. Well, our players aren't good enough to get to the top four. Well, I'm sorry, but we just got schooled by a team of League One players in yeah. Chris, under Chris Wilder. Now you're telling me that they're good enough to to be fifth above Arsenal? Well, yes, they obviously are because they are coached brilliantly, and they don't play long ball football. They play good football, but they. I tell you what, you must have seen that that stat that been doing the rounds that once they take the lead they haven't lost a match in the last four years after taking the lead this is the thing okay i don't think you're wrong in what you're saying okay whether whether he'd be the right fit at the moment you know only you you can only tell by trying it you know and and the guy is a premier league manager on credit do you know what i mean he's earned the right to be in the premier league he's taken that side up all power to the guy, okay? I think the problem we've got at the moment is, and, and and take the fan base and Twitter out of it, okay? Who cares? Who gives a monkeys? If you're Raul San Leahy and you're making this decision, you have to do your due diligence and go around and, and, and find the right man, you know, in conjunction with Edu, with Pear, you know, because it, it's going to be a very holistic sort of working environment going forward. But George came from Millwall. Exactly, exactly. We need a coach. Yeah. We don't want a manager in the who's going to want to to have all the budget under yeah. his uh, ring. And he doesn't. We don't want anyone that, that did that had complete control over the the whole club like Wenger did. We want a coach. But, but, but that, that developed over time. Though. You know, Arsene came from Japan. Okay, you know, I mean, he had a highly successful time at Monaco, unfortunately tainted by the tarpy, you know, um, uh, bribery scandal, etc. But the, th- the thing for us is, we need a character who's going to take us on a journey, who's going to set standards, who's going who's gonna to set a vision in play. And, and, you know, Raul, whether you like it or not, 
is a guy who likes dealing with big super agents, okay, who uses them. That's his contact book. That's who he likes to use. Maybe it's going to change now with Edu here. But Edu, you know, he's a guy who, that's, who has strong ties to Kurabachi in, etc. Uh, is Edu a mute, though? Is he a mute? Because I've never heard him speak. You know, he needs to come out. And he he's the one that's supposed to set the style of play throughout the entire club. Well, he's the one that's supposed to do that. This is going to be interesting going forward, isn't it? Because, you know, how are we going to go forward as a club? I, I, I don't think the next manager of Arsenal Football Club is going to be English. No, no, of course he won't. Because, and this is why, you know, going back to what you just said about Raul, and I agree completely, And but that is the crux of the problem. Because, you know, we need to find the right guy uh, to manage our club. Yeah. Now, Thunder Road said, and I know he's pretty, pretty tongue-in-cheek, Chris Wilder isn't good-looking enough for Arsenal. You need to look the part as well. I, he's not a dog. He can get some Grecian 3000, whatever it's called. That's no problem. Or just for men. Yeah, that's no issue at all. And uh, as, as we all know, Emery's got his teeth fixed on, on Arsenal expenses as well whilst he's been here. So he could do that. He could have some plastic surgery, no problem. But this is the problem. If you're going back to what you said about the decision that Raoul's got to make now, and, and, and with these um, partnerships he's got with these super agents, etc., etc., this is why we make mistakes. Oh, well, not just us. All the big clubs across Europe make so many mistakes man with their managers and they have to pay them off after fruitless. I mean, you remember, we'll remember Frank De Boer at Crystal Palace. Four games, I think he had, didn't he? Four games oh, and he got sacked. Now, can you imagine how much I would have had to pay him off? And if people did their research properly and actually made the decisions based on what they want to the style of the club to, to play, you know, football-wise and looked at people's track record of how they actually play football and the way that they coach their team and, and so on and so forth. Rather than looking at all these big glamorous names right across Europe, you know, then a lot of teams would probably not even go out of business, you know, the way they are going at the moment. Or, you know, being such shit, you know, across the, across Europe. Because they make the decisions based on name and, you know, their kudos within the game rather than what they can actually do in a skill set. So if we actually had the mindset of what we did back in uh, the 80s when we appointed George Graham from Millwall, you know, for example, and the way that um, Norwich go about their recruitment and the way that Sheffield United appoint Chris, Chris Wilder, etc., then the, the world, uh, the football world would be a lot happier place because there'd be a lot of better matches across the, uh, across the playing field. And clubs won't be in so much financial difficulty. Now, we need... Someone exactly like Chris Wilder with his skill set. Now, if you look back at and, and take the time to research what he's done in the game over the last decade, then you will understand exactly what he can bring to the table. Because going back to his time, right the way back to non-league, the way he's taken over you know, with Halifax Town, then with uh, Oxford, North, uh, Northampton, uh, and then back to his time at um, Sheffield United, the way that he's turned these clubs around is is nothing short of a miraculous. You know, it, when he took over Northampton, they were at the bottom and, and in danger of going out of League Two and going out of business. Cut adrift. And he lost his first four games in charge. Yeah. But at the end of that season, 
they won the league and they got over 100 points because he got his methods in place very very quickly uh, and his style of playing football across the board that is what we need you look you look at it okay i'm thunder rose a bit of a fun, bit of fun there and he says i'm you know some of skinny jeans and stuff like that and he mentions ralph hassenhutl it, it, it may be something like wilder we need it may be something like hassenhutl you've got to remember it doesn't work out for everybody at every club no, I like Rasputin. I, th- I, I think he's a good manager still. Yeah, I, I, I take him. I gotta be honest, because I think at least he's gonna put in place a style of play, and and he's gonna, mm. gonna back it. Do you know what I mean? And I think you know, it, it, you, when you look at the player profiles at at the clubs as well, okay, that's gonna come into it as well because you know you, you're gonna have to get your Mesut Ozil, your Aubameyang, your Lacazette on site. Um, my big worry is you know. Whoever's going to come into our club, okay? <laughs> nice, Stan. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but whoever's going to come in has got to sort that midfield area out. And I'm absolutely, not sure, absolutely. I'm not sure we've got the personnel there. But I don't, I'm not sure about that, though. I, I, I think that, yes, we've got some a lot of young players across the midfield, but I, I still think they've got enough about them to be well organised and do what they need to do. So, <laughs> I've just seen what you're on about with um, what Stan the man said. But I, I, that's what you just said as, as well, you said about, well, they'll have to get the, the players on the side. Uh, well, if they don't get on side with the manager, I'm sorry, but fuck them off. Yeah. I don't care who you are. They, they, you need to get the... This is the mentality we've got to get rid of. I, I, yeah, but what I'm trying to say is, You've got to get them to buy into your vision. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 not just a case of you know there's there's there are guys who do whatever you want to do. Um, there, there's there's good pros out there, and there's some people for argument's sake, you know. Yeah, I'll do what you want me to do, but I don't really believe in it. You've got to get that buy in. You know, they've got to really say, yeah, actually, this is what you know. I think you're absolutely right, or I think this is innovative, and I think I can enjoy playing this way. And if you do that, okay, then then once you've got that buy-in, okay, then you're on the right track because they'll bust a gut for you. Yeah. Well, remember what Nigel Winterburn said about um, George Graham when he came into yeah. Arsenal? And he wanted the players that would listen to him and do what he told them to do. And he set about getting rid of all the big names, the Graham Rickses, the, the Kenny Sansoms, uh, the Charlie Nicholas, etc. He got rid of all the, the Billy Big Bums, whatever he wants the body to call them. And uh, he brought in players that completely listened to what he said. And um, we beat the best team that, the, the you know, in uh, the last 20 years at the time yeah. um, by having that attitude and the organisation on the pitch. I don't mind going back to, the, to that sort of situation, personally, as an Arsenal fan. I wouldn't mind getting rid of all the the big time players and having a team that were much more like the bloody Sheffield United players who play with utter commitment. And they, it's, it's like um, I remember listening to the radio when uh, when we played um, Vitoria recently because it was a weird kickoff time, three fifty. Yeah. I was at work and um, uh, Perry Groves was doing the co-coms and he said. Because uh, he, he, he was just disgusted with what he was seeing on the pitch. I mean, what a pathetic performance that was. And he said, in his day, 
you would have players that were going, uh, cutting out crosses, saying, over my dead body, you're going to get that ball in the box. You know, that's exactly the words he said. Yeah. Uh, very gross. I, 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 I just want that kind of commitment, though. I'm not I, saying that's what you, you... But if you had players that aren't like that on the pitch and they were all organised, then I would rather have that than this shit show we're being served up week after week at the moment and, and just start afresh. Yeah, look, I, I, it's a different world nowadays, unfortunately. You know, Sky, the Premier League. You know, I, I when, when the guy was talking about Anthony Rees, um, there's a picture, a picture of him captaining that uh, FA Cup Arsenal and said, you know, Tony Adams is behind him. You know, you've got Keown with his sort of Afro type thing. Mm. And Paul Davis. And, uh, you know, oh, I Jones, love Paul Davis. David, David Rocastle. They're all there, okay? And, and Resource captain in them, and some of the stories Resource tell you, oh, he's hilarious. Okay, he was Charlie Nick's boot boy. Some of the mm. stories are world class, right? <laughs> but now all these guys, they're millionaires by that time. They'd be, you know, if Resource was that guy now, he'd be a millionaire at eighteen years of age. Yeah, you know, do you know what I mean? You know, he'd be having, he'd be driving a Bentley. They're not the same anymore. There's no YTS anymore. I know. I know. Charlie Nick used to give bang in a few quid every week because you know he was taking them out on the razzle and you know what I mean, all that business. Because he was a YTS boy, you know, he did thirty quid a week at the Arsenal cleaning boots. The world has changed so much, but you can get the level of commitment. You, you know, can. I think, I think look at United. Yeah, I think you've seen by you know likes of. Tierney coming in, stuff like that. You know, I, I I think if you look at Holding, if you look at Chambers, I'd build a defence around those guys at the moment. You know, yeah. that's what I'd be doing. But I'd He think, reminds yeah, me very yeah. much of an old school player, Kieran Tierney. Yeah. The way he tucks his shirt in as well. <laughs> yeah. But this is the thing, you know, it, it, it's, I don't know, I'd, whoever's going to come in, and, and they, you know, I think they need to do it sooner rather than later, but They've got to get by in from the squad of players and they've got to actually, you know... Yeah, something's got to be done. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. But, um, well, I think we've been going for an hour and three quarters. So, as much as I could carry on for ages, um, I would best leave it there, I guess. I enjoyed that, Paul. Thanks for... Mate, honestly, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Really, really... uh, I think it's been a great show. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I, and, I got uh, to speak to Nigel Winterburn. I'm a fanboy. I know. I know. Exactly. It's all on, it's all recorded as well, so I can prove it to everyone and everything, you know. <laughs> but no, that's, it's great. Thank you for coming on. Uh, thanks, pleasure, everyone. Pleasure, thanks, everyone in the chat box. It's been brilliant. I, I haven't done a roll call, actually. Oh, can you do a tappy-tappy for me? Oh, yeah. Just out of, just out of, you know. <laughs> okay. Oh, look, chat box. Okay, there's some... Look at him, look at him, look at him there. Loki's there, the Man's there, Thunder Road, Danny the GFP's there. They're all there, you know, Don Juan's in there, Alonzo Spencer's been in there. They're all there, happily taking your free content. Ryan, the Mr. Arsenal podcast, he's in there. They're all enjoying your free content, Andrew. Absolutely. But are they, but are they tapping that like button, Andrew? No. No, they're not, are they? They're no. fucking well not. Okay. I'll tell you what. It's disgraceful. I don't know who they think they are. They're coming into your chat box, okay? They're enjoying content. They're enjoying themselves on the chat with each other. But no, they're not. They're too good to press that like button, aren't they? They're too good. Listen here, people. 
pull your heads out of your arseholes and start tapping that like button. No, please. Let's get going. Tappy tappy for the gooner from Hinkley. I shall be writing some strong worded letters to your parents. <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep that going. I really can't. Thanks everyone for watching. Thank you for listening to those that listen to the podcast version. Subscribe, like, etc. etc. Don't ask for it enough, but please do. So thanks again, Jason. I hope to have you on again in the future. Always a have a great evening, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care, guys. Ta-da. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for having me on, pal. I really enjoyed that. Yes. I- Thanks very much for listening. We really do appreciate each and every one of you. We really need your help to spread the word about From Dar Square to Where. So if you haven't done so already, please give us a five-star review on iTunes and Spotify. Subscribe to the From Dar Square to Where YouTube channel and hit the notification button so you never miss a live show. And finally, please tune in to the live shows. Don't forget, you can get the chance every week to be the star alongside Andrew and his great guests just for being the most entertaining viewer on the night. Thanks again and see you on the next episode. Bye!